1: be in the last chapter of Romans for a moment. As I was thinking about Reformation Bible Church, I thought it good to remind all of us of the great blessing that we have in our possession, which is the English Bible that you hold in your hands or that you have on your phones. Uh, William Tyndale lived at a time when clergy were the only ones thought qualified to read and accurately interpret the Word of God. The uh, Bible as a kind of a new book was forbidden by the church for the common person to have. It was a time, however, when the uh, printing press was becoming a very Interesting uh, uh, thing. And so uh, uh, Tyndale was one of the very few reformers in the 1500s who was determined that men and women uh, would have the access to fully explore the scriptures in their own language. And uh, Tyndale was uh, well educated. He spoke eight languages fluently, including Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. So he was. Uh, truly, perfectly equipped by God to establish uh, the uh, interpretation of original languages into English. And uh, in doing so, of course, he uh, performed the greatest task that you and I could ever thank anyone for, which was producing this tremendous book that we read. Uh, In fact, if you... uh, uh, were to read about Tyndale. There's a, a quote cited by a priest, a fellow priest, who said this to Tyndale. He says, we are better to be without God's laws than the popes. Which, to which Tyndale replied, quote, if God spares my life yet many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scriptures than thou doest, <laughs> unquote. Uh, Tyndale gave his life for this cause, and it's uh, obviously, he's considered one of the greatest reformers of the English church. But I bring that up because this final doxology, verses 25, 26, and 27, are the longest of Paul's doxologies, and according to Tyndale, one of the most beautiful, uh, and so uh, I chose this based on that, his... uh, His statement was, it's a perfect summary of the greatest and most eloquent of the epistles. And and so, you know, this morning, I believe it's also the perfect text from which to send off Reformation Bible Church. Let's read it together. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. There's two broad categories of praise in this text that I wanted to draw our attention to this morning. Verse 25 and 26, we could sum them up by praise for God's work. He begins by saying, he has established you. It's a great uh, word that Paul uses. The word establish is the, in the original word is sterizo. It means to turn resolutely in a certain direction or to set fast or to fix. The same word is used in, First Thessalonians three verse thirteen, where Paul wrote this, so that he may establish your hearts blameless, only God can do that kind of work in our lives to set us in a certain direction, to turn us around and uh, put us point us in another direction and lead us in that direction. So God is fully able, according to this text, to make Uh, These believers stand strong and steadfast, and the same would be true for RBC and ABC, right? It's God who does the work. It's God who enables you. It's God who has done this great work in our lives and sets us in place. And even for God to establish another group of believers in another place, that's his work. The principal thing, of course, in the text is that he's establishing the saints in the gospel. It's the gospel, that, the gospel message that draws a group of saints together and causes them to form a church and then plant themselves in an area that is spiritually, hopefully spiritually hungry, where the preaching of Jesus Christ will be the central thing, right? It shall be. <laughs> It shall be. I think it's extremely exciting for us to even contemplate what God is doing, what God can do, what God is going to do. It's from the preaching of God's word that comes the uh, really the excitement of the unveiling of God's truth. It's God's truth that does this in people's hearts and brings them from a darkened place to a place of light. It exposes. It it awakens people. It reveals. Uh, the God of the universe to someone as a savior and a personal savior. Uh, Many of you here in Alpine who came through the years have had that experience where one day suddenly you understood, you heard the truth and it just grabbed your heart and you understood. And maybe other times you heard the gospel and it meant nothing to you, but suddenly God did this great work in your life. Who can understand it, but we certainly thank God for it. It's an exciting thing to anticipate as we think about this crowd doing this and seeing this happen in Navarre. In the text, it talks about a mystery. And he uh, addresses this, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. This is the mystery uh, that God is uh, going to call and does call people out uh, from another place. He establishes in them his grace and his power Uh, He allows us to hold fast his righteous sacrifice of his one and only son, the fact that his son would die for sins and then rise from the dead uh, unto eternal life. And so then leading others, leading followers who are believers in the Lord Jesus. These followers then in this mystery are made up of Jew and Gentile. And finally, that his spirit would then live within each and every believer. These are called out ones these are us. These are saints in Jesus Christ. And that's who you and I are. In the Old Testament, there was no mention of the church, but there were hints that God was going to do this great work throughout the world, not just to Jews. When God first spoke to Abraham in Genesis twelve three, he said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Isaiah eleven ten. He spoke that in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him, that's you and I, and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah 52 verse 15 says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. You and I have been washed in the blood of Christ uh, for what he's done and it's an amazing thing that unites us and brings us together. If you read Isaiah 56 sometime, you'll see that it talks all through that chapter of the salvation of the Gentiles. But it comes down to the apostles in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter actually uh, kind of restates what I'm saying. And I want to read that to you in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 10, where Peter talks about this salvation. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, and not to themselves, uh, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who, have pro- those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These things which the angels desire to look into. The, this blessed truth that you carry with you to Navarre is this blessed truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. And so it's an amazing opportunity and it's amazing event that we come to this point. God established Alpine 24 years ago. Today, God's establishing a church out of Alpine Bible Church, which is fantastic. Reformed Bible Church. And the very idea of this group called out as saints as a church with Christ as its head is a profound mystery. And I think it's So much a great cause for us to give praise to God this morning. I want to speak just for a moment to those who are sort of the old crowd that has started this church. Many of you come along on the journey, but there are some remaining here who were here for the beginning of Alpine. I want you to recall how God led you from brokenness and heartache and division, and yet he led you into a place of blessing, and I know that every person who came here originally would say that. Are you out there anywhere? Are you originals? Are you out there? Raise your hands high so people can see who you are. Sprinkled through here are some of the original crowd that helped launch Alpine Bible Church. Thank you. God did an amazing thing in our ministry. My wife, when we came here, my wife called this church the Band-Aid Church. She always referred to it that way when she'd explain our church to someone else or when we're on vacation talking with someone else. Yeah, we, uh, we are at the, uh, the Band-Aid Church in Sugar Creek, Ohio. And uh, just referring to the, the blessing of people coming here with broken hearts, just troubled hearts, And God mending those hearts. Many left, I think, better than when they came. Some of you stayed, and God has blessed in front of your eyes to what you can see today. And how privileged that crowd should feel to see a church leave our church with honor and blessing as opposed to hurt and division that so many churches experience. We're part of something wonderful today. Our theology should then be our doxology. I, I'm asking you today to consider the fact that your lips should be giving praise, for God's work is good. Would you say that, that how could there be anything less that should come from a response, but that we should give our great God and Savior praise and blessing for what he's done today? Amen? The second category in this is verse 27. Praising God for his wisdom. To God alone wise be glory. Honestly, I don't know how any of us could ever grasp the extent of God's wisdom. His infinite wisdom. But I know someone who tried. A little boy was drawing something and the teacher came along and said, what are you drawing? And he said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher said, you can't draw God. No one's ever seen God. To which the little boy said, when I'm done, they will. (laughs) A little boy had a perception in his mind, just maybe one aspect of God. And he was drawing that which was in his mind. And I want to say to us that I don't think any of us here has much more of a handle on God's wisdom than that little boy probably did. Because God's wisdom is so far beyond us. When you just sort of pause and think, and I think that I can say this for all of us today, that somewhere in our journey as Christians, we learned to have a fascination that was captured by the super brilliance and mighty power of this almighty God and Savior who chose to love us when we were unlovely. And chose to communicate with us when we weren't looking for him. And he found us. And he addressed his truth to us. And we heard. And somehow, at some journey in our life, we listened. And it made such an impact in our lives. And this wisdom of God to uh, to somehow reach back in, in this world and take uh, sinners who are rebellious against God and him Find us and pursue us and bring ourselves to him. So that today we sit here and God is about to do this new work. It's an additional work in a sense. God's already doing a work even here today, but God's doing something else. And the fact that we can do it right to me is the greatest blessing of all. Saints among us and from us are being supported and sent out to launch a new church. I had someone ask me, are we big enough to do this? Uh, Do we have enough finances to do this? Do we have enough people to help in different areas of our church when we take some of our workers out of certain places? And my thoughts running through my head trying to think of a good answer was, no. (laughs) No, we're not. We're not big enough. We don't have enough people. We're always asking for help. And now we're giving away a bunch of you. We, we sometimes feel like we don't have enough money. although God has always blessed us. But here's the thing. I have a God who's bigger than I am and bigger than you are. He planted this church when there was no church from just a few fragment of people who didn't know where to go to church. And they weren't sure they wanted to start a church. And I tried to talk them out of it. If they had listened to me, you wouldn't be here. But somehow we stepped back and realized that God was in charge. Same thing's happening today. This isn't something that we're doing. This isn't something that you're doing. This isn't something that any human being can pull off. Because if it's not God in it, it is not going to happen. If God's not in it, it will not be blessed. If God's not in it, it will not grow. If God's not in it, will both churches be hurting big time? But God is in it. I know that, and I'm convinced of it or I wouldn't have brought it up a long time ago. And God's going to do this great work because we are resigning ourselves to that fact. I want to say this to all the body of Christ who are here. This is not a clone of Alpine. This is not a daughter work of Alpine, where we're the big brother. We're going to help dictate how you're going to do things, and we're going to control your finances, and we'll grow you up, and then we'll let you go someday. That's what a lot of churches do. This is not a sister work. How you doing, honey? Good. And get into competition with your, you know, with your uh, family. No, that's not happening. We are seeing God do a new product, A product of like faith and of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and His Church, both we share that, right? My wife um, Marilyn likes to plant flowers. I don't. I don't even know what they are. I know that there might be blue, red, or you know, I I know the colors, but I don't remember them. So if you ask me what's in our house right now, I have no idea. For uh, 24 years we've lived here, I have no idea what's out there. They're just there. And I try not to mow them down. That's my job. She plants them. Some of you have given her some of the part of your plant. So she has your plants growing in our yard, which I'm fine with. But she has one plant that she brought home that she planted, and it's supposed to be pink flowers but they come up blue every year. You just said it. Hydrangeas. Hydrangeas. See, I don't even know what they're called. Hydrangeas. And she says, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm like, well, you know what? It just must be the soil. You're telling me the remedy. I don't want to know the remedy. I, don't. I like blue. I like blue. I think they're beautiful. She wants pink. I don't, I'll have her talk to you later. But I think what we are understanding is, what we've heard was that our problem is the soil. We have different soil than where they were raised. My point is that when you start something new and you plant it in the ground, just like the color is different, this church will be different. It's the same flower. It's from the same plant, but it doesn't look the same. And somehow we have to be able to step back and say, that's okay. Because it's God doing it, not us controlling it. We're letting this go into God's hands and we're saying, Lord, it's all yours. Do it how you want. Do it through your servants. And we will step back and let that happen and pray as it happens, that it becomes this beautiful plant that looks different than we do. Yes, but doing the same message, maybe even doing it better. Who knows? And God bless them in the, in the process of that because we want to see more people find Christ as Savior. Is that correct? So I hope you understand this morning what's happening. Many of you have asked. I'm hoping that that clarifies. RBC is being cut from Alpine and it's being planted in Navarre. And it will not look the same, but it's okay with me if it just goes on, does its thing, and does what we did. I don't, can't tell you how many churches that knew about Alpine when we started who were, uh, uh, you know, brows furrowed and, uh, uh, you know, sort of squinting at us and sort of like, uh, who are you guys? And uh, I had the, some churches in town. I met with them the first time I moved here, and they all turned to me and said, who let you into town? I mean, wh- wh- who, who gave you the right to start a church? That's how I was welcomed to Sugar Creek. I can just tell you that this is God, and that's what my answer was then. God's doing this, not me. I'm just going along for the ride, and it's great. Today, uh, as we uh, bring this to a close for myself and what I'm going to say today, I just want us to say we should be overwhelmingly thrilled, you and I today, with what God is allowing us to do. May he be magnified in this place and in this which he is doing, which is so beyond our understanding. May he get all the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Nixon, to come share just for a moment, and then we'll press on.
0: Just want to look at y'all for a minute. I love you, church. Um, uh, Yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. Let's go to Matthew 28. (laughs) Matthew 28. Some of you were here on Wednesday night, and some of what I'm going to say this morning is going to sound awfully familiar. And... uh, That's intentional. Some of you maybe tried to tune in Wednesday night, and we had a technical issue, and it died. And so you heard me say what church planting is not, and then it died. And so uh, if you missed it and you're wanting to know, I'll give you a brief little uh, synopsis of what I said. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, a very um, familiar, relatable, notable text... teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Here's my three statements. We're planting a church because the Bible calls us to. And the church is called to fulfill this great commission. This is Jesus' commission to his church, to his people. And churches then, as we've just heard from Pastor Byron, churches plant churches in order to fulfill this great commission. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We so often think about this making disciples in verse 19. And we think about it in one of two ways. One being evangelism. Well, we have to go out and reach people for Christ. We have to share the gospel with people. And yes, that's part of it. Or maybe you think about discipleship. Uh, time spent with maybe someone older in the faith than you or a little bit farther along in the faith than you. Helping you to understand how to live out now what the gospel has done to you. Right, but in reality, making disciples are both of those things: sharing the gospel with people, but then helping them to grow in their understanding of who they now are in Christ. That's making disciples. Um, It doesn't stop short at just witnessing, and it doesn't it doesn't just end or it doesn't just exist, I should say, in helping people uh, grow in their faith. It's all of those things. But there's a couple things we can miss. One. Notice it says, make disciples of all nations. Now, the Bible knows nothing about Germany and Italy and France and the United States and Bolivia and all the rest. This is talking about peoples, people groups. Make disciples of all peoples, all nations, all people groups. And so as Jesus is sharing this commission with his disciples there on that mountain where he told them to meet him, they would have to have thought, we have a lot of work to do. Go. And make disciples of all nations. And they're just in Jerusalem. Kind of uh, proper, let's say. And they got a lot of work to do. Well, God's going to do that work. And he, as we read through the New Testament, we see that take place on the day of Pentecost. And I'll be there in a moment. But then as the church spreads, we see that work being done. So that's the first thing. These disciples are of all nations, all people groups. And so the church's job... Every local church, if it's a true church of Jesus Christ, the church's job is to be on mission. And mission is about reaching people for Christ. And not just your friend and not just your neighbor, but the people on the other side of the planet. And church, you all, we, we, God has blessed us to be able to be that kind of a church here. That so many of you have gone to the nations. So many of you give and care and pray for the nations. We have missionaries, wonderful, wonderful saints who go and minister to the nations. And so in many ways, what this is, is no different than that. The second thing that we can miss with this making disciples is the rest of the rest of the exact two verses. Look what he says. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all, nation, all nations. How, Jesus? I'll tell you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So baked into making disciples of all nations has to be those two things: baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. Now, the question uh, uh, is how, who, or rather, who does that? Who baptizes and who teaches? Well, it's the church. It's the church that does that. You by yourself, a Christian, don't do that. You're part of that. You're part of that work. Just a few weeks ago when we celebrated baptism with so many new believers and some who had had been processing it for a while. Yes, Pastor David baptized each of them, but you church baptized them. You've commissioned him to serve in that way to uh, spend time with those people as they come to know who they are in Christ, but you baptize them. And so that's the church's job. Secondly, teaching. That's what what you're hearing right now. That's what happens at church when you come. That's why Paul set up elders and teachers in every church, because uh, the whole point of the church is that we gather around the word of God. It's not around anybody who's standing up here. We're just called just like any of you to serve in this particular way. And our particular call of service, just like so many of you have other particular calls of service, our particular call of service is to deliver this. Here, this is what God has said. Now we have to do something with it. And so the church does that. So as we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, which means to do all that Jesus has commanded. Think about that. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. How long do you think that's going to take? Your whole life. Until you see Jesus face to face, that's what you're going to be about. So just as uh, was just mentioned by, I think a few uh, up here this morning, none of you have arrived. Until you see Jesus, then you can okay, I've arrived. And so as we're all spending time kind of baking in this crock pot that is the church, which doesn't make any sense because you don't bake in a crock pot. But you know what I mean. (laughs) That's a dumb, that's a, yeah. (laughs) But you know what I mean. As you spend time uh, together, right, being made a disciple, God is doing that in you. Because at some point someone shared the gospel with you. Okay, maybe it wasn't this church, but it was the church that did that. I hope. They were probably part of a church and they were probably praying for you. Right. And they probably came back and shared with somebody. I I got to share with so and so today. And I, I think they heard me and I think it went well. Praise God. And a bunch of people that you never even met probably prayed and gave God praise because of what happened that night or that day or that morning. And this is this is this is the church. This is what we're doing. This is what our Lord has told us to do. And so as we think about going into Navarre, that's, this is what we're doing. I've had to spend time talking with different people about, OK, what's your plan and whatever. I don't know. We're going to preach the word. We're going to pray. We're going to disciple. We're going to encourage people. We're going to love people. We're going to point them to Jesus. That's what we're going to do. I don't have like a fancy thing. That's what we're going to do, because that's what we've been doing here. And that's what every other faithful church does, I hope. Right. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we haven't bought a smoke machine, but maybe, no, that'll literally never happen. <laughs> um, here's my point: the local churches, local churches, friends, local churches are God's plan for fulfilling the Great Commission, not just overzealous, really excited single individual Christians. Because all the time God is talking about he's building his church, he's bringing his people together, he's using his people, he's using his body. It's not just the toe, it's not just the fingernail, it's the whole body. Local churches are God's plan for fulfilling the Great Commission. This is why missions is always centered around the establishment and the ongoing ministry of local churches. Church, you support many different brothers who oversee a ton of churches in Africa and in Sri Lanka and many other places. Who are, this is what they do. This is how they reach their uh, local people. They plant churches. This is, this is normal. And so this is what takes this is is same thing historically and biblically missions is always centered around church planting. When we read the book of Acts, it is literally just another church and another church and another church and another church because it's intended to go and reach more people. And it's it's effective in that way, in ways that, you know, think about. um, Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Turn with me over to Acts uh, chapter 13 and we'll see how this plays out. The setting is the church in Antioch. And what's interesting is that you would think that the church in Jerusalem would be the hub of everything. This, that's where everything's going to happen. But it's actually it actually becomes the church in Antioch that is the hub that sends out Barnabas and Saul, eventually known as Paul, sends out Barnabas and Saul. It's the church in Antioch that does that, not Jerusalem. So it already tells you that, that, that things are spreading that there is now a church in Antioch that becomes the hub that God, the Holy Spirit, uses. And look what happens, uh, Acts 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is around 15 years after Acts chapter 9. Paul has been converted uh, after meeting Jesus on uh, the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. 15 years later, which isn't really represented in just four chapters later, but that's what's happened. The book of Galatians helps us understand that. So 15 years, Paul is uh, later after he's saved, He's there in the church in Antioch and had been there for some time. And he had received training directly from the Lord and and, and others. Um, And so while the church is doing what it always does, look at verse 2 again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. It doesn't say while they were having a church planting conference. It doesn't say while they were having a missions outreach festivity. It doesn't say while they're, right, you understand. It says while they were doing what the church always does. The Holy Spirit said. And so it's so important to see that, that the church being the church, as it has always been for 2,000 years, that's when God speaks. Not doing some kind of other fanciful thing, trying to be creative, trying to be, well, let's do something different. No, this is what the Lord has called us to do. He's called him to worship him and he deserves our worship. And while, friends, while we're obedient doing that, God works And this is what he does. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God has already called Barnabas and Saul to that work. And God has already intended for everything that's going to happen and unfold from Barnabas and Saul's work. And he doesn't. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't. God does not just show up to Barnabas and Saul's house and say, hey, I have this work that I'm going to have you do. Never mind about the church. You guys got to go out and be the real Christians and serve everybody. No, he doesn't do that. He shows up in the middle of church and speaks to the church so that it's evident to the whole body. This is what God is doing. And then he says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for this work, right? Then look at verse 3. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It was the church then that sent them off. God entrusted that work to the church to do that. He didn't just say, never mind about all of these uh, fallible people that don't know what I've really called you to do. No, he makes it evident to the whole church, this is what what I intend to do, and this is what I intend to do with you and through you, and I want the church to send them off. Friends, this is healthy church planting, and I know that in this area, and what many of you have experienced, has been unhealthy. Unhealthy new churches. And that's what I talked about Wednesday night a little bit. And praise God, as Pastor Byron said, praise God that we can do this right. And may we continue after we're sent off because, you know, next week it's not, well, okay, good, right? Like, we're just starting. May we continue to do things right. May we continue. I, I, I pray, if the Lord tarries, I pray that this would be the beginning of what God is doing in and throughout our greater area. You have excelled Alpine at to the ends of the earth, and then you've kind of brought things back to to uh, Samaria and Judea. And now this is kind of like the I don't know what you call us up there for Judea, Samaria. I don't know, but we're not Jerusalem, right? Thinking about Acts one eight. But I pray that this would be the beginning of what God might be doing in this greater area. Because there's needs, friends, not just in Navarre, not just around here, but there's needs for healthy gospel preaching churches that would have the humility to partner together to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We're not not in competition. We're not trying to do things better, different, just to be slick. But we're trying to do what our Lord has called us to do. And when Barnabas and Saul are sent off, let's look at what happened. Let's look at the the missions report. Look, turn over to Acts 14. We get to kind of zero in and see what Barnabas and Saul did. Acts 14, verse 21. How did they do this work to which God had called them? When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It's almost as if Barnabas and Saul read Matthew 28. See what it says? They preached the gospel and had made many disciples. And then they strengthened the souls of those disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, which sounds an awful lot like teaching, right? And then they appoint elders for them in every church because the point of Barnabas and Saul was not to be the pastor of every church they start. They were going out and starting these new churches, appointing elders in every town to be over those particular churches so that that continual work of making disciples could keep happening. And so this is what Barnabas and Saul are busy at. We get If you want to peek over their shoulder and see what they're doing, this is what they're doing. They return back to Antioch, verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They bring the church back together after they've been gone to report what's taken place. This is what God has done. And I'm sure there was no little uh, time of praise there. By Acts chapter 16, Paul was intent on going to Asia. But the Holy Spirit led him to Macedonia and to the city of Philippi. A church was started there from Paul's ministry with just two households, Lydia and the jailer. And he wrote to that church years later, expressing his love and care for them. In the book of Philippians, I'd ask you to turn with me there. Philippians chapter 1. And I will close with Paul's thanksgiving and prayer in Philippians 1. Starting in verse 3. There's a commitment that Paul makes to prayer. Verses three and four. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul is joyful to be praying for them. It's going to be our joy as RBC to continue to pray for God's blessing and hand on Alpine. And I would beg of you, to hold us up in prayer. That's Paul's joy. Why? Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Pastor Byron mentioned it. I'll mention it again. This is what we're about. We're partnering in the gospel. You already do this, church, with plenty of missionaries and friends that we support. And have supported over the years. It's the ongoing outworking of that. That's what we're partnering in. In the gospel. That's that's the relationship. And I am sure, Paul says, of this. Verse 6. He's sure of the faithfulness of God to save. I was overcome this morning singing with you all. Whenever we sing about the gospel... I am always overwhelmed that God would save me. And I'm sure that's true for you. You see, in all of our efforts and uh, ministries and so on, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that the God of the universe has sent His Son to die for you. Christian. That without the Lord Jesus, you have no hope. As you get zealous and excited about sharing that with other people, wonderful. But park often and think about the fact that you have hope because of the Lord Jesus. And so just as much as we're busy about doing the Lord's work, we need the affirmation and the assurance of verse 6. That we can look each other in the eye and say, I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God does not start things that he does not finish. God does not begin works that he just kinda lets go of. I excel in that. (laughs) I have a lot of half done things in my life that plague me. Praise God that God is not like me. Praise God that God is trying to make me like him And he's doing that in you as well. And he finishes everything that he starts. Verse 7, it's right for us to love one another because of what Jesus has done in both of our lives. You know that? I have no idea why we came to Alpine from a human perspective. I don't know why God led us here when I just try to ponder on all the circumstances and events. But I know now why God led us here as I get to just peek a little bit into what God was doing. But why it's so hard to leave is because we love one another. It's not just me either. There's plenty of other folks that are going who feel the same way. As Joel shared, that there is a love and an affection and a relationship that has been developed between us because of what Jesus has done in both of our lives. And friends, that trumps every other friend that you've ever had. You have more in common with another Christian than you have with your best friend who doesn't know the Lord, who just likes the same football team as you. Because there's something eternal and something real that has taken place in both of your hearts and lives that has brought you together that makes no sense apart from the wonderful grace and work of Christ. And so Paul says, it's right Friends, those of you that are grieving about this or sad about this, I'm grieving about this in some ways and sad about this. It's okay. It's right to feel that way. Paul longs for them because he holds them in his heart. Why? You are partakers with me of grace. He yearns to be with them, verse 8. He yearns for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And friends, that's the great news. Our relationship in Christ endures. I've joked, we're not moving to the moon. In fact, we're not moving. Same place. But our relationship in Christ endures. It doesn't end. It endures. It keeps going. And here's the prayer, verse 9 through 11. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Those are great things not only to pray, please pray these things for us, but know that we're going to be praying those things for you. That your love for God would grow. That your love for his word would grow. That your love for the lost would grow. That your love for one another would grow. That you would grow in knowledge, not just information, but relational knowledge. That you would grow in knowing God. That you would grow in all discernment. What a time, that we need discernment. And discernment bloggers is not where we find discernment. We find discernment from growing in wisdom, and we grow in wisdom through God's Word. And you need, you and I need discernment. Why? All of this is building to a point. So Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. May we be busy about approving and uh, uh, celebrating and worshiping and glorying in what is excellent. And God gets to define what that is, not us. And all of this says something about our ongoing work, right, of being made into disciples and being disciples, right? That we would be humble enough to come up to the place of, uh, when we come to the scriptures and realize, God, I need you to change me. I need you to work on my thinking and my heart because I know that I'm not right on this. And I don't probably think right about that. And I'm willing to accept, Lord, that I'm not right about maybe anything. But you are always true and you are always faithful and you are always good. So please help me in that. It's my prayer for you that you would continue in that. I pray that you would pray that for us as well. You see then all of this the day that as we sang about earlier when we see Jesus face to face we will be then pure and blameless for the day of Christ do you want to be able to stand before Christ pure and blameless? The great news is it has nothing to do with what you do. <laughs> it has everything to do with what God does in you. And he'll do that insofar as you continue in the faith, as you continue in your uh, love for him, as you grow, so that we would then be, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness, God's own righteousness bearing fruit in our lives. And at the end of the day, God gets all the glory and praise, not us. No one will stand at the end of time applauding for Alpine or Reformation Bible Church. But we will be standing around the throne, lost in glory over our King who has died for us. This is where this is all heading. And we can't forget that. This is the last time that the people in the back will have to be upset with me for going over. <laughs> I love all of them. Those of you that serve in the back, I'm sorry. In the past, when I've made you stay longer and feed more goldfish, I just want to say, as I close again, that I love you, church. It has been a it has been a joy to. Uh, minister among you. It's been a joy to grow in my own faith, in my own understanding of Christ and his word among you. I thank you so much for your grace, graciousness and your kindness. Um, Nine years here has been wonderful. And So many of you are dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, and you've been kind to us when we've gone through some of the hardest things that we may ever go through. But I want to say how faithful the Lord Jesus is. That he has upheld us and he has carried us and he will continue to carry you. And I look forward to what is ahead for Alpine. God is is up to something in all of this, friends. I don't know fully what that means, but he's up to something in all this. And as long as we stay fixed on the Lord Jesus, I've been so reminded of that these last six months because this has been a turbulent time of realizing, okay, here we go. This is what's going to happen. Something I've been praying about, thinking about for more than a decade. Here it is, Nick. And I've been caught up and messed uh, up sometimes in thinking about uh, earthly things too much. And you know, so often when the scriptures tell us to set our minds on Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to seek the things that are above, God actually means that. And when that happens, that actually does something really glorious in us that we can set aside all of the things that we're focusing on. Some of you, your temptation is to spend way too much time watching the news. And what do you think that's doing in your heart? What what are you fixing your mind on? Some of you maybe have been fixing too much attention on what's happening with this? What is this going, going on here? Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Look to Christ, friends. Focus on Christ. Look to the Lord Jesus. Because when you focus too much away from Him, that's going to do something in you that isn't good. I've felt that. And I want to tell you how important it is to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what's going to keep us in the days ahead. All right. I'm done. Let me pray and then whatever's happening next will happen. God, I love you. Thank you that You love us so well, and you've shown that through your Son. God, I pray for Alpine that you would be pleased to help them to grow and abound more and more in love and in knowledge and in all discernment, so that at the day of Christ, when they stand before you, Lord, They would be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I pray for Pastor Byron and Pastor David, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would help them to grow and love for you, for your word, for one another, and for your people. I pray for Marilyn and Jen and the kids, that you would watch over them, Encourage them in their ministry and their support. I pray for the board, God, that you would oversee them, that you would lead them, that you would shepherd them as they care for this flock. I pray for the flock, God, that you would so enrapture their hearts with the Lord Jesus, that they would be infectious with the people that they meet and that you would do a great work through that. I thank you so much for what you're doing here this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.